Crossroads, good to be with you this morning. My name is Jesse Ryder. I'm our City Center campus pastor. Good morning online campus as well and our Lex campus. It's good to have you guys with us. Special announcement, something kind of cool tonight. We have our Crossroads 101. Crossroads 101 is our path to membership. And we actually have that available tonight. Uh, so really kind of a cool way they're going to do it. It's normally in the morning, but we've had people requesting for an evening 101 so they could join. So if you have not signed up yet, you can stop by Next Steps and sign up there. We would love to have you join us. And I happen to know there is a free dinner involved with that. And also I have to know the cooks, and it is a good free dinner involved with that. So I, I tried to sign up again, but apparently you can only become a member once, and those are the rules. So sorry about that. Also, if you are on the online campus and you're not quite ready to be back at Park Avenue or one of our other campuses as well, it will be available online. So if you would like to join for 101 online, let the, let the group hosts know there and let them know you would love to be a part of that. But we just we, we love to grow our family. We love to just increase our family and get, get to know more people. So join, come with us, stop by Next Steps, let them know you want to be a part of it. It's not too late to sign up, and, and you can come tonight or even join online tonight. So I'm our city center campus pastor, and whenever I get a chance, I love to share about the city center, primarily because it, it's run really by generosity, right? And so, so many different times we get these amazing stories of generosity through, through giving and donations and prayer and service, so many just cool elements of that. And we've, we've talked about, you know, our, our free laundry program and our free haircuts, and we've been doing free meals and lots of different things that our, our whole goal with the city center is to be able to meet physical needs to start spiritual conversations. And so we try and provide services and things that are needed in the community that will be able to kind of stir up some of those conversations with our guests and people that we serve. And so I want to tell you about a new one that we, we just launched just a couple week, weeks ago called ReCycle. Now, I have to spell it for you in order to really get what it looks like. It's R-E space cycle. So it's not about collecting cans or newspapers or things like that, but it's actually about collecting bikes, new bikes, Old bikes, gently used bikes, not gently used bikes. We have a team of people who love to just tinker with these bikes. And so what we do is we get the bikes in. When they're ready to be distributed, we let people know. We've had people who are, they're trying to get that job, trying to take that next step, and they, transportation is a barrier. And so we, we said, listen, if we can help you, let us help. And so we've been collecting these bikes. We've had a team of people working on these bikes, trying to get them ready. And so when someone comes to us and says, you know what, we... We got this job, or we can get this job, but we just we don't have a way there. I said, we'll give you a bike, free of charge, just so you can kind of take that next step in your life. And so we've got a great team of people who have been doing that. One of the other things that we see with that is there are a lot of families where biking or cycling is their primary mode of transportation. And so we've also been collecting kids' bikes with the same mentality. If that our kids, if, if they have to get a ride to school or that's, they walk a lot or their family rides and walks a lot and they don't have another bike, we would love to be able to just give them a bike and say, here you go. Can we pray for you? Can we help you? And so I just want to let you know that if, if you know of a family or an individual in that situation, just refer them to the city center. We'd love to kind of sit down with them and, and hear where they're at, hear their story a little bit, and, and see how we can kind of partner with them. So I, I love to just share those stories because it involves so many people from so many different campuses through people who have given bikes, money, prayers, time, whatever it may be. You know, it's just this, this great thing that kind of encompasses everybody. And so I, I love to be able to share those stories with them. So today we're going to be in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16 
And we're going to be at verses 13 and 14, page 962, if you're using one of our Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Now, we're not really in the middle of a series right now. We're just kind of going through some different topics during the summer. And this is interesting because we're going to kind of jump into a, a book where it's near the end of the book and a chapter that's in kind of in the middle of the chapter. So we, we've missed a lot if we're to start at 1 Corinthians 16. And, and so what we're going to see here is that, that Paul has penned this letter to the church in Corinth, to believers in Corinth, the city of Corinth, and to really encourage them in their faith. And as you read through 1 Corinthians in the first 15 chapters, you're going to see that what we're about to read is, is kind of that final reminder He's covered all the things we're going to talk about, but it, it, it's kind of that, that final reminder. So let, let's read it, and then we'll get back to that. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, and be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. So the, the way I kind of hear this verse, and if you read through kind of the first 15 chapters of 1 Corinthians, you see this same message and just a little bit different verbiage throughout the book. These same encouragement, these same reminders. And I, I think it's important for us to kind of recognize why this might be. Right, so th this is kind of how I envision this letter going. If, if you're the parents of small children, or really even teenagers at this point, you know, wh whenever you leave the house, you kind of go through that, that checklist of things you, you need to have done and you need to have ready. Okay, make sure you go to the bathroom, make sure you get your shoes on, make sure you get a snack, get a drink of water, get all these things, grab your cell phone, depending on the age, you know, get all these things. Like, oh, don't, don't forget your jacket. Right, and, and so it's kind of an everyday thing that whenever you leave the house, like, you kind of go through that situation. Right? You just got to kind of remind everybody of what they need to get. So for me and my household, our household has, has been a little bit different these past couple of months. We've had nine children in our household. Right? Due to some stuff at the city center and some families there, we, we've been helping out a little bit. So we've had nine children living with us. Ages two, three, four, four, five, eight, ten, ten, and eleven. It's right around birthday, so you had to make sure I got them all right. And so I, we, we've had these children there. And so when we get ready to leave, we kind of issue this statement like, hey, make sure you get your, your shoes on. Make sure you go to the bathroom. Grab a drink. Grab a snack. Oh, don't forget your jacket. Like in, in going through that list of things. Now, I'm going to be honest. I don't say it nine times when we leave because it would take like 45 minutes just to get out the door then at that point. Right? So I'm not going to say it, you know, that many times. But there was one day, you know, we were getting everybody ready. We kind of went through the checklist. I said it out loud. I didn't individualize it. I didn't say to every specific child. I just, you know, this is what we're doing. I said, we're going to the park. You know, we're going to go play and hang out there. And so I, I load everybody into what is now looking like a clown car. And we get everybody in. And then we, we get to the park. And then I, you know, I'm counting kids as they get out. We get everybody out. And then one of them says, um, I don't have my shoes. Now, listen. I didn't specifically say, like, you make sure you have your shoes. I use you generally, like that everybody should have their shoes. I said, why don't you have your shoes? Like, well, you didn't tell me to get them. I'm like, you knew we were leaving. You knew we were going to the park. You, like, you knew these things, right? You, you knew that. Like, well, I, I didn't know you meant me. And I just like, you know, there's those moments when there's, you can't really respond. And you just kind of like look and like, I, I, I don't know. Like, what are we both going to do right now? Luckily, because my kids don't put things away, we had an extra pair of shoes in the car and we were good to go. 
right? And so we got there, and it's kind of that same reminder, right? As you read through this stuff in 1 Corinthians, it's not new stuff. It's not brand new, like this has never been talked about. In fact, it's, it was actually discussed in one chapter before. In 1558, this is what it says. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? This is just one chapter before. So Paul is kind of issuing this, this reminder one more time. Right? Hey, don't forget about this. Don't, this, is, this is for you. Right? Because sometimes as Christians, we have that same mentality. Like, oh, like, well, I've heard this a lot, but I didn't know like, I was supposed to be doing this. I didn't know this was specific to me. I didn't know you wanted me to put my shoes on. Right? We, we kind of have that mentality with Scripture sometimes where we look at Scripture and think, this would be great for everybody else to follow. Oh, it's for me too? Oh, I didn't realize that. And, and so we have that mentality a little bit. And so as we're reading through this, you're going to see this is kind of a, a summarization of what's been said. That final reminder of like, hey, get your drink, go to the bathroom, grab a snack, get your shoes on, and don't forget your jacket. And that's kind of what we're reading here from Paul. And, and so Paul has is, is sent this letter to the Corinthians, to the, the church in Corinth, because it's, it's kind of a difficult setting there. Right? But what, what we see is, as you look through kind of the makeup of, of Corinth, there is a large military influence. And, and so what we're reading are really kind of these, these militaristic commands to be alert, to be watchful, to, to stand firm, right? to be brave, act like men. Right? These kind of commands that the military would use to kind of encourage one another as they go to battle. And so it keeps these very succinct phrases to encourage believers in Corinth that you're about to go to battle. And so he uses those phrases to really kind of encourage them as they're fighting that fight. Now, I want to tell you a little bit about, about the, the makeup of Corinth because I think it's important to recognize. Corinth was an extremely popular city. It had people coming from all over for various reasons. It, it was a large military post. Militaries would come and kind of meet there. There was a large central military location, so certainly that was of heavy influence. It was a large kind of commercial business post where places where people would come from all over. This would be the gathering spot because everybody else was coming there, so they would come there to sell stuff and to do business. It was a large tourist spot because there was a lot to see and a lot to do. And so it just brought a lot of people into a centralized area. And when that happens... There are good and bad that will come of that. All right, some of the bad that might happen is that there's all these different cultures and beliefs and religions that have now kind of fused into one. And so as Paul is writing this letter to believers, he's encouraging, listen, you can't just keep fusing ideas and religions and pagan gods and, and making them all into one. It doesn't work like that. That's not good. But also what happens is because there's all different beliefs and ideas, and pagan gods, and these different things, is what will happen is that people kind of picked and choose what they wanted to worship, how they wanted to live their life. And so it became kind of a very self-seeking area. And, and so because that was the mentality, there was a lot of just sinful and moral things that were happening. Let me give you an example. One, one of the, the temples there dedicated to the, the Greek goddess Aphrodite was as you would go to worship at that temple, there would just be prostitutes everywhere. So part of that act of worship is as you would go to the temple is you would find yourself a prostitute. 
And so you can imagine if, if this is the DNA, if this is the way you've been brought up, if this is what you believe to be true or believe to be right, it's going to lead to some very interesting meshing with Christianity. So which is, this is why Paul writes this letter. Because there have been so many people, so many believers in Corinth who were claiming Christianity but living this pagan lifestyle. And so Paul encourages them with this letter. As you read throughout the book of 1 Corinthians, it's full of just instructions for believers and for churches of how to kind of respond in difficult times, how to interact, how to be a believer when the culture around you is against you. How to be a believer when the culture around you will continually celebrate sin. In fact, if, if you read through Greek literature, if you see different Greek literature available, the word Corinthian, to, the phrase to live like a Corinthian was kind of like a Greek synonym for drunk and immoral people. That was the connotation of being a Corinthian. And so you can imagine a believer in that setting is going to be difficult. So Paul writes this letter. Writes this letter about 1 Corinthians to encourage them in their walk. Encourage them about what it truly means to be a believer in Christ. So we see that it says to be alert, to be watchful, to stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. The first thing we see is that, that command to, to be watchful, to watch out. Right, certainly a very important military command here. That if, if you're going to be watchful, then why would you need to be watchful? Well, someone is going to attack you. Right, in the military world, if someone says that you need to be on alert or be watchful, that means that there is something or someone that is looking to attack you. And so he, he gives the same illustration for those who are believers. You need to be watchful. Watch out. Be alert. Be aware of your surroundings. Right, because there is someone or something that is trying to trap you, waiting for you at your most vulnerable moment to attack you. And we see that with sin in the lives of believers in Corinth. Right, that, that sin would be able to just work through temptation in their most vulnerable moment that sin could entangle them. To be watchful, to watch out for the temptations that were around you. As we describe the culture in Corinth, we see that they would be surrounded by temptations. And not only surrounded by temptation, but surrounded by people who would justify doing those temptations. To watch out for those distractions, those things that will pull you away from Christ, those things that will distract you from the love of Christ. To watch out for those false teachings. Things that might be claiming about Christianity or claiming about how to be a believer, claiming about how to live your life, but are not based on Christ, but are based on individuals. And so really what we see is that this is, this is the first part of the warning. Right? That Paul had witnessed that there were people in Corinth, believers in Corinth, who needed this warning. People had fall victim to temptation, fall victim to distraction, fall victim to false teachings. So he gives them a warning to watch out. And, and as we look at as you think about warnings, usually warnings take place after an event has occurred. Right? Usually something has happened, and then a warning comes out because of something that has happened. 
This is true on warning labels, right? Think about, think about some products, right? Some products have some interesting warning labels. And they're interesting because it proves that at some point in time, somebody has tried this or done this, and now we need a warning label. And some of them are almost comical. I brought a few just for fun. If you look at a chainsaw, there are certain brands of chainsaws, and one of those brands, there's a warning label on the chainsaw. It says, warning, do not grab the wrong end of the chainsaw. Now, that's a good warning, but also it's like somebody at some point grabbed the wrong end of a running chainsaw. A hair dryer. Warning, do not use while sleeping. This is, this is a strange one. I, I still can't quite get it. The warning is, warning, this product may contain eggs. The product? Eggs. Right? Here's my favorite one. And it's funny until you realize that someone's actually done it. And then it's just, you just, you know, you can just shake your head. It's really all you can do. On irons. Irons you can, like, iron your clothes with. Warning, do not use while wearing the clothes on your body. Which means someone at some point was wearing their clothes, saw a wrinkle in their clothes, and thought, I'm too busy to take them off to iron. I'm just going to do it while I'm wearing them. Now, I don't know the result of that first interaction like that. I can assume they ended up in the emergency room. And then there's a conversation that has to happen where you have to admit what you've done. Right, you, you walk in, like, okay, what, what happened? Like, oh, I got burned by an iron. Okay, uh, did you fall into it? No. Did you touch it on accident? No. Well, how did you get burned by the iron? Um, I was wearing a wrinkled shirt, and I tried to iron it on my body. Right, and you, you just have to admit that. And so because of these warnings, we realize people have done this, right? And so now we need these warnings. As foolish as they may be, people have done it, and now we need these warnings. What may seem obvious to some, somebody thought, this seems like a good idea. And that's what we see in the first part of this. What may seem so obvious to some, somebody thought this was a good idea. So Paul says to be alert, to be watchful. Be aware of your surroundings. Right? We, we need that warning because he, he saw people fall victim to those temptations. He saw people get distracted. He saw people fall with these false teachings. He saw the damage that had been done and realized that he needs to warn other believers to watch out, to be aware of your surroundings. Then he goes on to say, to stand firm in your faith. To stand firm in the foundation of your faith. See, what was happening is that because there were so many different religions and, and ideologies that would float through, you could almost pick and choose. And so whenever you'd face any hurdle, any obstacle, anything of the sort, you could just move to something else that would help give you pleasure instead of doing what you have to do. And so people began to waver back and forth. Here was an obstacle in front of them. Well, I'm not going to respond like this. I want to do something else. This would require me to sacrifice something. This would require me to give something up. This would require me to do something I don't want to do, so I'm going to choose something else. And so you began to see believers that were not standing firm in their faith but would jump ship the moment things got difficult. 
And so Paul encouraged them, stand firm in your faith. Face adversity. Don't just, don't just quit. Right? Don't just quit being a believer just because things are difficult. To stand firm in your faith. Right? He says this will be evident in your decision making, evident in the way you talk, evident in the way you act. People will know that you are a believer based on these things. Right? And instead what would happen is that these believers would, would not stand firm. They would waver. If it got difficult or something they didn't want, something they didn't like, they would choose something else. And so that you began to see a lot of weak Christians in Corinth. And Paul realized that and wrote to them, listen, you need to stand firm, to be brave. In fact, the next phrase he uses is to act like men, to be brave, to be strong. And we see that because there were so many weak Christians who would just give up, give up on their faith, give up in believing in Christ. And so what we see here is this, this stage of Christian infancy. See, that this shot, the, the saying of act like a man is not in reference to man and woman, but to man and child. That as believers, you are called to mature and grow in your life and in your faith. But when you don't have a firm foundation and you waver back and forth, there's no growth, there's just leaving. And so we would see these continually Christian infants who would never grow in their faith. And you know, as adults, there are things you now think different about than you did as a child. An easy example would be darkness, right? Many children are very afraid of the dark. Right? I can even remember scenarios when I was younger when you hit that light switch and you sprinted to get to wherever you needed to go, right? Because the, the darkness was unknown. It was terrifying. Who, who knows what could happen from one end of the hallway to the next, right? And so you hit the light switch, you sprinted. I remember one time when I was younger, I have a younger brother, and one time I, I was you know, going to hit the light switch and go to my bedroom, I assumed everybody else in the house was asleep. I hit the light switch, I began to briskly walk to my bedroom, not sprint, because that would be weird if everybody else is asleep and you just hear someone sprinting through the house, so it was a brisk walk, right? So I hit the switch, I'm walking briskly to my room, and all of a sudden, I just feel hands on my shoulders and someone screaming in my face. And so I screamed, I jumped, I got out of the way. I don't, I'm about to fight or run. We'll just say fight because that sounds more manly. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. So I run to turn on the lights, and there's my brother just standing there laughing. Right? It's those moments of unknown where if you don't have that, that faith in Christ, right? As adults, you realize that darkness is simply just the absence of light, right? Darkness in and of itself is not going to hurt you. There could be things that happen in the dark, but the darkness itself is not going to hurt you. As you mature into adulthood, you understand these things on a different level. But what was happening is that believers in Corinth were not maturing. Right? Whenever they would get frightened, whenever they get scared, whenever they get hurt, whenever something happened, they would run. They would just run away. And so they never learned to trust in who Christ was. They never learned about the sacrifice that, that Christ gave up for them. They never learned those things. And so because they never learned those things, they could never stand firm in their faith. They just found themselves leaving the faith all the time because there is no foundation to their faith. They never matured. They never grew as Christians. 
right, which is important for us then to understand the importance of growth, the importance of maturity, the importance of accountability, right, to, to stand firm, to act like men, and to be brave, to be strong. And then in verse, verse 14, it says, let all that you do be done in love. Let all that you do be done in love. Now, before we dive into to doing things in love, I think it's important to look at some other areas or reasons why we might do something. Other motivators as to why we might act or speak. Certainly you could say spite, jealousy, anger, revenge. Those would all be motivators as to why you might do something. But Paul says, let all, all that you do be done in love. I, I want to show you what this looks like. In fact, we've actually missed it in 1 Corinthians. If it, in your Bibles you go back to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Remember, we said this was kind of Paul's summarization, that, that final, like, hey, don't forget your jacket type mentality. He's already talked about a lot of this. And in 1 Corinthians 13, it's kind of known as the love chapter or the wedding chapter. Right? And so really you get to see what love looks like. But what's interesting is that even though it's read at multiple, multiple weddings throughout the year, it's not specific to romantic love. In fact, it's more specific to Christ-like love. And oftentimes our, our approach at weddings, you get to sit there and kind of acknowledge the couple that's getting married. Like, I hope they can live this chapter out together. I hope they model this for each other. I hope they do this well. But really what 1 Corinthians 13 is about, certainly it's about love, but it's more about looking at our own lives. Paul was writing to the believers in Corinth about what love really looked like what love was and was not, what love did and what love did not do. And so he'd kind of teach them and encourage them and remind them about what love really looks like because there was such an upbringing of, of different moral foundations and not based on Christ, but based on the desires of the world. And so when the desires of the world is your moral foundation, your view of love is at the very least skewed. And so it's important to recognize what he's talking about right now. It's that there was a culture of people who no longer were concerned about love, but just concerned about themselves. And so what we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is some imagery and then definitions of what love is. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. And I love the kind of the first couple of verses that kind of set 
what it looks like or even what it sounds like to live a life that is not based on love. That when you say things to people and it's not based on love, it uses the illustration of a gong or a cymbal, right? And that is a noise you can just hear in your head, right? You, can, you know what that sounds like. You know the loudness and just kind of the kind of like obnoxious sound of a gong and a cymbal. Like you, you can picture that. You can hear that. And for that to be the illustration about what it's like to say something to someone would not in love. And so in your mind, you can almost picture this person of who is this person in your life. You'd be like, ah, this, this is the person. This is the person who's the gong in my life. This is the person when they speak, it sounds like symbols crashing on my head. And you can like just think and you can almost pinpoint nearly exactly. But this, this verse, this chapter is not about identifying the gongs in your life and who it is that sounds like that. It's about looking at your own life. When you speak, not in love. When you say things out of spite, out of anger, out of revenge, out of jealousy, and not in love. And so what we see is it says, when you speak and your words are not in based on love, you say nothing. When you do something and your actions are not based out of love, you do nothing. When you give something and your sacrifice is not based out of love, you gain nothing. And so we get the understanding of what this means. If, you're, if your life is not based on love, it's nothing. And so what Paul is referring to is the love that has been set in front of us. The, the love that has been exemplified and living out in front of us. That is the model that has been demonstrated for us and to us. Then you go on in the chapter and it says, love is patient. Love is patient. And we are called to be patient with people and with pain and even with God. And that can be difficult. Being patient can be really difficult. You know, I alluded earlier that we, we have a, a two-year-old that has been living with us. And our pace of life is pretty fast. We are moving pretty quickly to get to our next event, appointment, meeting, whatever it may be. And so we are, you know, things keep moving. And I remember one day we're trying to get out the door. We're trying to get everything ready. We'd gone through the checklist multiple times. We'd gone through that checklist and we're trying to get out the door. And there's a two-year-old in front of me waddling. Just waddling around. And we're, I'm trying to hurry. I'm like, all right, let's go. Let's get in the car. Let's move. Let's move. Let's move. And then she's just waddling and stops to look at a flower. I'm like, we got to go. Like, we're going to be late. We need to keep going. We got to do, like, we got to drop everybody off. We got to do all these things. Like, we got to go. My sense of urgency did not increase her pace at all. And so I'm just standing there like, I, I really want to, I don't want to be late. I want to get going. And so it's like, she'll take two steps and like find something else. And then two steps and find something else. I'm just like, what is going on right now? It's hard to be patient sometimes. Right? It's hard to be patient, certainly in the area of time. Right? We want to get to where we want to get to. Right? One of my biggest pet peeves in life is sitting at a red light when no one else is around. Right? I'm like, what a waste of time this is. There's no one else coming. Just be automatic. Right? And so time is certainly a tough way to be patient. But also, socially, is a tough way to be patient. 
when there's someone in your life who's been that gong, right? Whenever they speak, you just, you cringe. It, it hurts to hear it. It's tough to be patient. Or it's tough to be patient when, when someone continually makes the wrong decision time after time. It's tough to be patient. But it says love is patient. Why? Because that's what's been done for us. We've said the wrong thing repeatedly. We've done the wrong thing repeatedly. But we are still loved by God. And that's the example that's been in front of us. That love is patient. Then it says love is kind. Or love is useful. And if you look through the, the Greek literature, you'll see this word is on, almost synonymous with the word grace. That love is grace. And when you look through Greek literature and you find this word, almost every time this word is used describing an abandoned baby who is then cared for by a different mother. That was the picture of this word. That love is grace. Treating someone in a certain way even though they don't deserve it. And that can be difficult. But that is what's been modeled for us. That we have been shown grace even when we did not deserve it. We have been shown grace. Love is patient. Love is kind. And then we get into lists of what love is not. Love is not envious. And you're going to see as we work through these things, they're going to kind of build off one another. And it really is talking about this, this self-centered attitude as it talks through it. Because remember the Corinthian culture. It was very self-seeking. Pick and choose whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Whatever pleasure you want. Whatever you need. There was no biblical authority. There was no reverence for who Christ is or what Christ has done. So Paul breaks it down, what love is, what love is not. Love is not envious. See, the envious mindset puts you into this competition mode where your goal is no longer serving someone, but being better than them. And so your goal is not to build them up, not to encourage them, not to love them, but to win. To win this contest that you've created in your head. Love is not envious. Love is not boastful. See, boastful is really this idea of I want you to think better about me. I want you to know all the things that I have accomplished, all the things that I have done, all the things that I am capable of doing. Not in a way that to serve you, but just so you can think more highly of me. Love is not arrogant. Right? Ar arrogance is, is this idea that you don't have to report to anyone that you are your own supreme authority. Whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you think is right, whatever you want to do, fine. You are in charge. And we see this mindset begin to develop, that it's all about you. And what Paul is saying is love is not about you. Love is demonstrating the love of Christ that has been shown to us, to others. And so it's not about us, but about loving others. Then we see that love is not rude. And really, arrogance in action is rudeness. 
right? Well, because you don't have a certain accolade or accomplishment or appearance or financial ability, I'm going to treat you differently. I'm going to view you, talk to you, think about you in a different way than I would someone who has a different accolade. That's, that's arrogance. That's rudeness. Right? Even though we would exemplify those, some of those characteristics. And we see love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking is kind of the combination of, of all those things. Boastful, arrogance, rudeness. You treat people as stepping stones to get what you want. Right? That, that you view someone in your life as a way for you to get to point A to point B, and they are that mode in between them. And so you will do whatever you need to do to get there. Love is not irritable. Right? We, we talked about that, that, that gong, those symbols, those people in your life who continually say the wrong thing, continually do the wrong thing, continually being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And it's so easy to get frustrated where you just want to quit them. You just want to leave them alone and get rid of them. But love is not irritable. Because when you get irritable, you begin to think and treat them differently. You begin to look at them and say, all right, this, this is how I view you. This is how I will treat you. You've done this, so that changes the way I treat you. Paul's saying, listen, love is not irritable. Right? You've done those same mistakes in your life, and Christ's love still reigns. So even though you've made these same mistakes, even though you've done these things, Christ's love still remains. And it's easy for us to, to get offended or to get hurt and forget that we are and were that person. We see, love does not rejoice at the wrongdoing of others, does not celebrate sin. Love does not celebrate sin. See, this is kind of the bottom of the attitude. Right, where you're so excited that someone has made a mistake because it makes you look better. And this, this is how a lot of arguments go. And unfortunately, even if amongst believers, this is how arguments work. Someone states their opinion. Someone else states their opinion. And rarely, especially on social media, rarely does person A who heard person B's opinion say, oh, that's great insight, thank you for sharing, I'll take that into consideration. No, usually what's the response is like, you are full of lies, you are wrong, you are, you are wrong. And, and then this person says, well, no, 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 you're wrong, you're full of lies. What you're saying is just all made up. This person said, comes over here and said, idiot, and just goes straight to name calling, right? Never is there this in-between in where it's like, okay, I appreciate what you're saying, I hear what you're saying, but I'm done. And, and it's just this back and forth where love is almost waiting, waiting to win the argument instead to love others well. They just desperately want to win. At the expense of your feelings, at the expense of, of you being upset, you being hurt, I want to win. I want to win this argument, so I will say whatever I need to say to win. Doesn't matter if it's truthful, doesn't matter if it's hurtful, I want to win. And so we can look and we can talk about the Corinthian culture and understand kind of the paganism that surrounded the culture, the, the backstabbing, the fighting, the arguing, the, the sexual morality and all those different things. But if we're real honest, this stuff permeates our culture as well. It's real easy to think about those scenarios and when you've seen people argue like that, right, where the goal was not simply to encourage someone or to teach someone through the argument, the goal was to win the argument at their expense. 
And so we see that love does not rejoice at the wrongdoings of others, but in fact what love rejoices at is love rejoices with the truth. Love rejoices with the truth. This is the celebration of what Christianity is about. Someone coming to experience the love of Christ, knowing that Christ loves them, regardless of all those things, regardless of the hurt, the lies, the deceit, whatever it may be, regardless of the things that Christ loved them. And that's what we see that love is. That love is rejoicing with the truth, knowing that someone has come to understand the love that Christ has for them. And finally, we see that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, and love never ends. Which means no matter how many times someone has said something ridiculous to you, inappropriate to you, wrong to you, lied to you, how many times someone has done something, been deceitful, love never ends. Which means you are not going to change your attitude. They are not going to distract you from the love of Christ that has been shown to you. Remember that first command, that first reminder, watch out. Watch out for those things that distract you from the love of Christ. Right, that, that mindset can creep in there and say, you know what, it, it, they've done it quite a few times. They've lied quite a few times. They've deceived you quite a few times. They've made poor decisions quite a few times. You kind of build this checklist. Start checking, well, they did this, they did this, and they did this. But what Paul says is love never ends. And we know that because that's been exemplified for us. Christ's love for us never ends, regardless, regardless of our checklist of how many mistakes, how many sins, how many lies, how many times we've said things, how many times we've done things that we shouldn't have done. Regardless of that checklist, Christ's love for us remains. And that is the example that's been set before us. And so often it's easy to get distracted with, with our own feelings or emotions. Well, they did this to me. Christ's love still remains. But they said this to me, Christ's love still remains. And sometimes it can be hurting, sometimes it can attack your pride, and, but Christ's love still remains. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown us, for the life that you have given up for us for the continual time after time after time that you still love us. Even when we've made mistakes, even when we've said hurtful things, done hurtful things, you still love us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for a love that remains like no other love. Thank you for putting people in our lives who are difficult to love. As hard as it may be, thank you for that. Lord, give us the courage to face the difficult ones with love in our life. To respond in ways that show your love and not distract from your love. Lord, give us the ability to love like you do. To show that love that you have shown us 
Lord, help us to be watchful, to watch out for those temptations, to watch out for those distractions from your love. Lord, help us to grow and mature in our faith so we can stand firm in our faith and not be a weak Christian, but to be someone who stands firm even in the face of adversity, even in the face of difficulty, we run to you. Lord, help us to be brave, to be bold, to demonstrate your love when it seems no one else will. Lord, we thank you and we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Would you stand with me as we close in worship?